Good afternoon and happy Sunday. It's November 15th, 2020, and welcome back to Just the News. I'm Candice Pedraza, and today I'd like, just like to talk about the legalization of drugs across the country and the history of the war on drugs. We won't have an interview today, so bear with me as I try to narrate this timeline. It's always important to start off a discussion on such a popular social topic with its background and origins, so let's start in the 1870s. The use of opium started to become popularized, but laws were created against it to specifically target the Chinese immigrant community. Here is where these types of laws started to come about as a means of targeting a specific racial group in America. The first anti-cocaine laws were created around the 1900s aimed at black men in the South, and the first anti-marijuana laws were created to target Mexican migrants in the 1910s and 20s, according to Drug Policy's website. As drugs became popularized in the 60s as a form of rebellion and became associated with anti-war movements, research started being conducted to determine exactly how psychedelics and other drugs could help or hurt citizens. Then this happened in 1971. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. This speech ended up starting what essentially became a war on leftists in the era, era and a war on the black community. Specifically, it targeted black liberation movements that were quote-unquote threatening the reach that our federal government had at the time under President Nixon. A former top Nixon aide, John Ehrlichman, actually stated in an interview that the supposed war on drugs was merely a cover for their true intent. He stated, quote, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or against being black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. After this, mandatory sentencing, no-knock warrants, and an association of drug use with a certain crowd became commonplace in American society, effectively retraining the thought process on drugs from something to research to something to use against an already vulnerable community such as black communities and migrant communities. However, between 1972 and 73, decriminalization of marijuana had started becoming commonplace. Previously a Schedule One drug, which means no scientific use could come of its use and that high rates of abuse were connected with the drug, marijuana started to make its way back to the public. But as parents became concerned about the high rate of usage among teens and young adults in the country, the presidency of Ronald Reagan pretty much put a stop to those fears. And by stop, I mean he helped increase the number of incarcerated folks tenfold and absolutely devastate the black community in America. According to drug policy site, the number of people behind bars for nonviolent drug offenses increased from 50,000 in 1980 to over 400,000 by 1997. Even as the country voted in Democrat Bill Clinton, who said he wanted to work towards decriminalization, we witnessed a quick reversal on his part back to draconian drug policy that we continued to increase the number of nonviolent drug offenders in prison within the country to astronomical levels. It wasn't until months prior to his departure from the office of president that he said in an interview with Rolling Stone that he felt we needed to work toward a treatment-based approach to drug usage in America. A little too, lit too late and too little. Some organizations started to crop up to advocate for the end on this war. The Drug Policy Foundation was created in 1987 by Arnold Treback and Kevin Zeese as a, quote, loyal opposition to drugs, unquote. 
Civil libertarians and some conservatives like William Buckley and Milton Friedman continued to call for the end of prohibition on drug use throughout the 80s and 90s, but as we turn the page into the 2000s, the war picked up steam again under President George W. Bush. Under this administration, we saw a greater militarization of police forces across the country as a means of combat combating drug use and sale. Over 40,000 paramilitary-style SWAT raids had taken place for mostly drug misdemeanors. Under the Obama administration, we saw some policy changes to try and shift the American approach on drugs to the 21st century. This meant ending bans on federal funding on clean syringes, which ended up devastating the gay and black community during the HIV AIDS crisis, fixing the sentencing disparity for crack and powder usage, and allowing states to decide their own marijuana use laws. However, it still lacked a public health approach. This is something currently being undertaken by states or not, and we are seeing empirical research from said states that show how a public health approach is imperative to ensuring a successful go at decriminalization. So we know the history, and we know that a lot of states have only just begun to decriminalize marijuana as recently as our latest general election. Let's dive into policy that's been effective, and this includes outside of the US and policy that hasn't. The city of Seattle effectively decriminalized hard drugs through the prosecutorial discretion about a year ago. This came after a report by the National Institute on Drug Abuse revealed that 63% of drug overdoses were caused by opioids in the state of Washington. Taking up after efforts in countries like Portugal, Washington worked on decriminalization, but they didn't fund social services or public health initiatives in the same way that Portugal had. This just led to irritation among voters about open drug use and an ever-rising and steady number of overdoses in the, in the state. So Seattle still had and has work to do when it comes to the decriminalization approach as a method of helping, not hurting their community. According to the Associated Press and Portuguese officials, the decriminalization of small amounts of harder drugs back in 2000 actually led to a decrease in overdoses. It actually also led to an increase in stabilization over time of people seeking drug treatment for drug use in the country. Another state, Oregon, saw this approach and decided to give it a try themselves. And this year, they passed Measure 110. This rejected future charges for those possessing hard substances like heroin, cocaine, LSD, oxycodone, methamphetamine, and other drugs, and instead will implement what is essentially a traffic ticket for possession. Instead of jail time, Oregonians caught with these drugs will be offered to either pay a fine of $100 or to enter a drug treatment facility. This will all be funded by Oregon's robust marijuana tax revenue in the state. We have obviously yet to see the effect this will have on the state as the measure has only just passed a few weeks ago, but it is, if it is modeled after successful decriminalization efforts in countries like Portugal, we could very well see a new American model for how we need to approach this anti-war on drugs in the future. Along with Oregon, states like Arizona, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota passed legalization of marijuana. In New Jersey specifically, where I personally reside, the legalization effort is already facing some problems, and this surrounds what tax revenue was supposed to be allocated towards and what the state legislator is now pushing for, which has upset a few progressives in the state that have been working towards decriminalization and legalization for decades. New Jersey passed legislation through a referendum on this year's general election ballot. The measure passed with about a 65 to 35% vote in favor of it. Now, it's important to note the differences between legalization and decriminalization when discussing the passage of these laws. 
Yes, we voted to legalize regulated use of marijuana. The Attorney General of New Jersey, Gerbeer Graywall, has stated that the state has not legalized unregulated, unregulated use, nor has the vote meant that decriminalization has occurred. This is extremely important to note, as normally AGs need to direct police forces to cease arrests of those in possession of marijuana, but this has not happened yet, and the AG has deferred this decision to a moderate New Jersey state legislator to decide. In addition to the strange development following the vote on legalization, some leaders in the legislature, like Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin and Governor Phil Murphy have spoken about their support for an excise tax on marijuana sales. That would interfere with a constitutional amendment that caps sales tax at 6.625%. Democratic Senate leaders Nicholas Scutari of Union County and Teresa Ruiz of Essex County joined by state Senate President Steve Sweeney, spoke out against this idea shortly after Governor Murphy voiced his support of the tax plan. They, among other more progressive politicians in the state, are seeking to use the tax revenue garnered from sale of regularly regulated marijuana in the state to rehabilitate communities that have been devastated by the war on drugs over the last several decades, as well as to fund public schooling and treatment centers. Others, such as Senators Troy Singleton and Shirley Turner of Mercy and Burlington, respectively, have also voiced support for legislation that would allocate a majority of funds for the creation of businesses to minorities and women. As it stands, only 30% of the windfall from sales have been designated for minority business owners, which would essentially leave 70% of this funding for police training and ownership for, quote, white men, according to Reverend Charles Boyer, a legalization advocate and the pastor of Bethel AME Church in Woodbury. The state has yet to come to a consensus on what to do with this new law. There are still many discussions and debates to be had about the tax rate, which could end up hurting the businesses as residents might just continue to buy from their own dealers, and where this revenue needs to go is still a big question mark. Progressive leaders in the state have been extremely vocal about what they would like to see done with this money, and I would actually like to thank a few for being so vocal on social media as I would not have looked into this issue as much as I did without their voice. So specifically, a thank you to Progressive Democrats of New Jersey, New Jersey attorney and advocate Imani R. Oakley, and attorney Hector Osguera of New Jersey and New Jersey Weedman for educating myself on the topic through their own statements and multiple appeals to the state legislator during hearings over the past few weeks. All right, I hope those who stuck with me through this episode learned something about the issues surrounding modern legalization and decriminalization efforts throughout the country. Can't wait to see the data and research that comes about from what these states decide to do with their programs. Again, this was Candace Pedraza. Thank you so much for joining me for just the news on the war on drugs.